Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Good morning. I'm John Wilson. My wife Connie and I have recently become a part of this church and uh, love it. Connie's in the nursery caring for those precious little ones today. Um, I would just like to thank Jamie for reading the verses that she read. That is my life verse, verse 58. As she read it, the Lord spoke to me confirmation that I'm supposed to be here and I'm supposed to give this word. And um, because, you know, when you stand in front of a group of people, you always wonder, is this right? Is it wrong? You know, do I do it? And that word helped me. Our subject today is the Ten Commandments. They're given twice in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 20. Please stand. And read aloud together with me the Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged on the land. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Thank you. Please be seated. The major crisis facing people today is ethical and moral. Technology has has advanced to the point that, given resources and time, we can do just about anything. In the past few years, physical sciences have put us on the moon, have given us atomic energy sufficient to destroy ourselves, developed surveillance techniques sophisticated enough to invade the privacy of any person's life. The physical sciences have been replaced by biology as the queen of science. The fruit of modern biology is everywhere. It has revolutionized agriculture through plant genetics, plant physiology, and soil chemistry. Animal husbandry has changed through antibiotics and biochemically synthesized feeding supplements. One-third less time is now required to grow a chicken for the Kentucky colonel to fry than when he first went in business. Biology has conquered infectious diseases from polio to smallpox and now promises 
to eradicate heart disease and cancer. In the past, the concern was, can we do it? Now that it can be done, the question is, should it be done? What can I do with it? That is an ethical question. The biologist has taken ethics for granted until now because he did not have the power to create, to redirect, or to disrupt life. We now have biological warfare. Is it moral or not? We are on the, we are on the verge of a major breakthrough in cloning, being able to exactly reproduce organs for transplant. If a limited number of livers is available, who is to get them? Our cell phones are modern miracles. Take out your cell phone. <coughs> Excuse me. Eleven years ago, these did not exist. And then, ten years ago, Steve Jobs stepped onto the stage in San Francisco and held up the first iPhone. We just wanted a phone. I'm sure there's somebody in this crowd who can remember bag phones. Remember them? They were this big. You had to plug them into your uh, cigarette lighter. You had to put an antenna on the outside of your car. Oh, if I just had a phone. Now you have a phone. But Steve Jobs said, it's not only a phone, it's a little mini computer. And so, in my hand, I can access the internet. And in the privacy of my car, I can access the most vile, pornographic websites there are. I can access the most destructive, rebellious, treasonous web websites there are. The question now is not, can I do it, but should I do it? Well, Steve Jobs said, not only do you have a phone, not only do you have a little computer, but you also have a camera. Wow, isn't that nice? How handy it is. But with this camera, I can now pay, take pictures and invade anyone's privacy and put them up on the web. The question is, should I do it or not? These are ethical questions. To answer these and many more ethical questions, God gave the Ten Commandments. 3,400 years ago, God gave people the Ten Commandments, and He gave us the power to choose. And with the power to choose came the possibility of making sinful choices. So God tells us in the Ten Commandments what are the right choices. We have to have three readings of the Ten Commandments to fully understand them. The first one shows the character of God. We think of God as love, and that's true. But a more complete definition of God is that He keeps all of the Ten Commandments. First commandment, you shall have no other gods 
People become copies of their gods, and God is consistent with himself. Number two, you shall not make an idol or a graven image. God is greater than any image. Number three, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. God is consistent. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God is the creator and is orderly. Honor your father and your mother. God holds to the sanctity of life and the family. Do not murder. God holds to the sanctity of life. God does not take life, nor does he annihilate anything. Do not commit adultery. God is faithful. Do not steal. God respects property. Do not bear false witness. God is truthful. Do not covet. God does not compare. God's laws are a reflection of his character. God keeps all of the commandments. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that he came to fulfill the law. In other words, Jesus kept every part of the law. He did not break any of the Ten Commandments. He was sinless. To break a commandment is wrong because it violates the nature of God. And God cannot tolerate that in his presence. He demands perfect obedience to the Ten Commandments. Well, given our human condition, that is impossible. The first reading of the commandments shows the character of God. The second reading of the Ten Commandments is to reveal sin. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The Apostle Paul was shown his own sin of coveting by reading the Ten Commandments. The Bible pictures him as a dynamic, super-aggressive achiever. Who else accomplished more than Paul? Now, those kinds of people tend to measure their achievements against the achievements of their peers. What kind of car does he drive? When did he get his last promotion? By reading the law, the Apostle Paul learned that comparing Wishing, coveting, is sin. And then he went on, Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. He then went on to say that the purpose of the law is to bring people to Christ. The second reading of the Ten Commandments should generate a bad feeling in my heart. That is conviction of the Holy Spirit. It shows how far short of the character of God I have fallen. If I begin by attempting to follow the Ten Commandments as a moral guide, that's fine. But that's like entering the game at halftime. I could live a perfect second half. But what about the first half? The score of 100 to nothing is still on 
the scoreboard. I cannot do away with that. For those of you who have suffered infidelity in your marriage, you know that a promise from your spouse to never do it again does not take care of yesterday. The past is taken care of only by confession, repentance, and a plea for forgiveness. If you're an employer and you have an employee that has been caught stealing, you know that a promise to never steal again is not enough to restore him to a job. The person must ask forgiveness and make some restitution for the past. President Abraham Lincoln recognized that the law reveals sin. He called for a day of national repentance in which our nation was to ask God's forgiveness for the horrors of the Civil War. Jesus did not come away, did not come to do away with the law. The law leads us to Christ. But then Jesus used the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount to turn up the heat just a little bit. Six times he said, You have heard it said, but I say unto you. He's contrasting there the written law and the attempts by people to keep it with what he knew was the real law in our heart. He said, if you think it, it's as much as if you have done it. Now, this is all done in the spirit, but I will um, dramatize it for you, okay? Here I am. Here's Jesus, and he approaches me, and he says, hey, John, yeah, can I see your phone? Sure. You want to make a call? No. I'm just looking at your contact list. See if there are inappropriate names of women you should not be calling. Oh, I don't see any. Okay. Dodge that bullet. (laughs) Then he steps up beside me, puts his arm around my shoulder, whispers in my ear, I guess to not embarrass me, and says, Susie Q. Oh, no. Susie Q. That's the woman who comes in the coffee shop. Seventh commandment up in smoke. He sees me again. He says, um, hey, John. Yeah, Jesus. He says, I was noticing you when that email came out that announced that Ben is the new district manager. It appeared that your lower lip tightened just a little bit. Then as if he was reading my mind, he said, uh, and you thought you were much better qualified to get that job, weren't you? Tenth commandment. Up in smoke. Bingo. <laughs> well, I've got eight out of ten. Anybody else here get eight out of ten? <laughs> and you know, if God grades on a curve, we can get Pastor Mike up here. He can tell you about grading on a curve. So many A's, so many B's, so many, you know. I know I'm going to be at the head of the class. Trouble is, God doesn't grade on a curve. <laughs> Every man stands there by himself. The second reading of the law shows my sin. If you have a heaviness in your heart right now, it's the Lord working. Before we go any farther, we must ask forgiveness for the sin that God is showing. The intersection of a repentant heart and the Savior is 
the greatest meeting in all of the universe. God has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and the law to show our sin. When those come together, there's life. Let us pray. Please, Lord, forgive me. Take away this terrible hurt in my heart. Amen. I can now assure you that the Lord has heard you. Your prayer has been answered and your sin has been forgiven. Praise be to God. But we do have an enemy, the devil, who will try to bring it back. But you must stand in faith that Jesus has forgiven me. The third reading of the Ten Commandments is a moral, ethical guide for Christian living. Exodus chapter 19. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession, for all the earth is mine. The Sinai Covenant, which contains the Ten Commandments, is the first conditional covenant. All of the previous covenants that God had made with men were unconditional. They did not require a human response. God was going to put the rainbow in the sky, no matter what Noah did, (laughs) that was going to happen. But this commandment is conditional. God says, if you do this, then this will happen. The Ten Commandments were given to the Hebrews 90 days after they had left Egypt. The family of the Jews had gone into Egypt as a 70-member family of Jacob. They had been there 400 years, and when they left, they were 600,000 people in number. They had been slaves. They made no decisions about their own lives. They worked. They were given food. They were given clothing. They were given shelter. And now they were to become a whole new nation where they would have the possibility of making choices about their life. If they kept the Ten Commandments, they would be prosperous and independent. If each man policed himself, there would be no need for a police force. Now, wouldn't that be just about ideal? (laughs) If they did not keep the Ten Commandments, they would degenerate into a totalitarian police state. The people were prohibited from coming near the mountain when God gave the commandments. This was to show respect for the law. God spoke in lightning and spoke to emphasize the importance of the law. Exodus chapter 19. The Ten Commandments were the legal foundation for the new nation. And the Ten Commandments are the moral foundation for a stable society. The Eighth Commandment says, Thou shalt not steal. Now that presupposes ownership of real and personal property. If you own something, then it's possible someone could steal it from you. Ownership of real estate is absolutely essential for a stable society. When Israel occupied the Promised Land, each tribe was given a section of land for their ownership. And then it was divided into families. 
Now, that land could be mortgaged, but it had to be returned to the original family every 50 years in the year of Jubilee. In the modern day, every nation that guarantees private ownership of land is prosperous. Nations that have government ownership or land barons do not prosper. The modern prosperity of Japan is the result of General Douglas MacArthur breaking up the land barons and instituting land reform. Compare North and South Korea. In the North, the government owns the land. In the South, land is owned by individual citizens. Compare the former Soviet Union with the United States. In the United States, we are prosperous because of land ownership. The Ten Commandments are not just a nice ideal. Yeah, maybe we should do that. The Ten Commandments are absolutely necessary for a stable society and for a good life. God told the Hebrews, if you follow the Ten Commandments, you will have a good life. Now, we Christians who believe the Bible must lead in living by the Ten Commandments. And if we do, we will demonstrate a good life to the rest of the world. Now, please note that keeping the commandments will not save you, will not get you to heaven. No, only acceptance of your sin, asking for forgiveness, and putting your faith in Jesus to be your Savior, that's the only way you will get to heaven. But the Ten Commandments will give you a good life on earth. Let's look at three of the ten. The third, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Well, the first application is very obvious. Don't swear when you hit your thumb with a hammer. (laughs) And don't curse another person in the name of God. But let's look at a little wider application. Let's say you go to visit one of our Douglas County libraries, which, by the way, I love. And you go in there and you speak to the friendly librarian, and you ask for a recommendation for a good historic novel. You like to read biography. And the librarian says, oh, we just have on our new new acquisitions uh, a story of President Teddy Roosevelt. I think you'll enjoy it. You check it out. You take it home. Put it on your nightstand. And no sooner had you done that than your life starts to get complicated. All of a sudden, the water heater starts to leak. And then the garage door won't go up. And then you get a new assignment at work. And lo and behold, before you know it, you get that little email notice from the library that says, the book is due in two days. You've never cracked it. (laughs) Well, you take it back, and you don't just go to the book drop outside. You go inside, and there's the friendly librarian. And he says, oh, how did you like the book about Teddy Roosevelt? And you tell your little story. My life got very complicated. I never read the book. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry for you. You never enjoyed how the author can tell a beautiful story. You never enjoyed learning about Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, you took the book in vain. 
You took the book, but you received no good from it at all. There are people who claim the name of Jesus, but not benefit from any of the blessings. When you're checking into Parker Adventist Hospital, you're asked for a religious preference and you check Christian. Sure, you're Christian. Yes. But there are a number of Christian people who never enjoy the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters, never live a life of faith, never accomplish anything for God, never be confident at the time of death. The Apostle John described the Laodicean Christians as lukewarm. He said they're neither hot nor cold, so the Lord was going to spit them out of his mouth. If you claim to be a Christian, don't be a Christian in vain. Don't just take the name. Be a 100% Christian. Amen. I agree with that. (laughs) The fourth commandment. Let's look at that one. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, people have made numerous laws in an attempt to define and enforce this commandment. The the Orthodox Jews, they're noted for this. I was raised in a Christian home and a Christian church. Back in those days, Sunday included, getting well-dressed, going to Sunday school, going to church. Coming home, having a delicious dinner that my mother had prepared, we often had guests. People would sit around the table and talk for seemingly hours. Then the adults would all take a nap, and then we would get up and we would all go to church for the evening service. That was Sunday. We didn't go shopping. We didn't go out to eat. We didn't go to a ball game. Some people in our church would not take the Sunday paper. Stores back then were not open. Maybe some of you remember blue laws. They prohibited retail stores from opening. Car dealerships are still like that today. But we had blue laws that prohibited. These were all attempts to keep the Sabbath holy. But let's look at a little wider application. The Hebrews had lived for 400 years as slaves in Egypt. For a slave, every day was the same. You got up, you went to work, you received an allotment of food, you were given clothing, you were given shelter, you would go home, you would go to bed. The next day, you would get up. You would go to work, you would get an allotment of food, you would come home. Every day was the same. Now, people have always measured time in annual periods. This is done by the winter and the summer solstice. People have always had years. They're just like our years. They've they've done it for thousands of years. And people always measured time by months. That's by the phases of the moon. There are 12 months in a year. But then God gave a new way to measure time in seven-day segments. They're called weeks. And this is now universally accepted. Everyone in the world lives on a seven-day calendar. The Hebrews had lived 400 years with every day the same, 
But now they were to live in these seven-day cycles. On one of these days out of the seventh, it was to become a rest day. The people who had been slaves were not required to work that day. But they still were going to receive food and clothing and shelter as if they were working that day. Now, this was very forcibly demonstrated to them by the manna. You know the story. God provided manna every day for six days that the people would eat. And on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much so they could have that to eat on the seventh day, which was a day of rest. The Sabbath rest is now shown to be necessary for productive work. No one can continually work without a day of rest. Productivity is reduced. Safety fails when people work beyond seven consecutive days. Now, I try to make the Sabbath different from the other six days of the week. I've become like my parents. I take a nap on Sunday afternoon. We usually go to a restaurant for lunch. We might visit someone. I do not cut my grass on Sunday. I'll go to the store if necessary, but try to avoid it. But the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day. It's a day God gives us for rest. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother, and your days will be prolonged on the land. Now, this commandment is all is the first commandment with promise. It says, if you do this, you will get this. <laughs> if you honor your father and your mother, you will get a long life. This commandment is all about retirement. Now, maybe I'm doing this subjectively because I'm retired, but this is how it is. This commandment is all about retirement. It says, you will have long days in the land. Honoring is learned behavior. Children learn to honor from parents who honor their parents. I will be treated by my children the way I treat my parents. You can't get around that. Now, I'm going to tell you what we did recently. I realized that everyone does not live as Connie and I live. And I realized that Connie and I have been blessed by the Lord beyond measure. So what I'm telling you, I'm not bragging in any way. I'm just telling you what we did. We were gone from church for two Sundays. We missed you all. We love coming here. We went with our son, Matt. By the way, Matt and Nicole are here. They went with our son, Matt, and his family to England and Scotland. We visited the daughter of our former youth pastor. She was like the sister Matt never had. She and her husband are in London on a two-year work assignment. They have two children that are about six months older than Matt and Nicole's children. Yes, it was a wonderful time, but here was the good part. Matt received the invitation from Tara to come and visit them. 
And then Matt said to Connie and me, would you come with us? Sure, we'll come. I mean, we could have stayed home. We could have come to church and seen you guys for those two weeks. And we have a lot of things that we like doing, but sure, we're going to go. Now, it's great fun to to see famous sites, iconic places, you know, Buckingham Palace, Big Ben, all that kind of stuff. But it's a lot more fun to see my children see iconic places. I remember we used to go to ball games, St. Louis, the Cardinals, they're the best. Oh, how fun it was. How fun it was to go to a Cardinal ball game. But you know what was more fun? To take Matt to a Cardinal ball game and watch Matt enjoy the Cardinals. Now let's ratchet up the fun another notch. You know what's even more fun? To watch Matt explain it to his children. (laughs) We visited Windsor Castle and we took the audio self-guided tour. You know, you get the headphones, you get the little thing you hang around your neck, and you go into the room and you punch the number and you hear it. Well, Matt's five-year-old, five-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Hope, could do that. And so Matt got it for her, and it was the most fun thing to watch Matt instruct Hope on how to do it. And then watch Hope push the buttons and listen to the headphones. My favorite picture is of Hope talking to a docent guide in Windsor Castle. The guide is bending down, looking right into Hope's face, and Hope is asking a question. And Matt is standing beside Hope, listening to this conversation. Any of the grandparents here know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Matt honored us with the invitation, and we have a good retirement. Well, roll the tape back 33 years. It's 1984. Matt is about three years old, kind of the average age of his two girls. I led tours to the Holy Land for years. I've been to Israel 35 times. In ni- oh, my goodness. In 1984, we did a six-day tour of Israel and a five-day tour of southern Germany and Austria to see the 350th production of the Oberammergau Passion Play. Connie and I planned to take a few days after the tour group went home. We were going to rent a car, and we were going to visit some missionaries that our church supported in Munich, Germany. I asked my parents to join us. And so the five of us rented a car and drove around southern Germany and Austria. Matt and Nicole did the same thing this year that Connie and I did 33 years ago. I learned to honor my parents as they honored their parents. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I was the oldest of four children. I had three younger sisters. One of my sisters is now with Jesus. My grandparents all lived in rural Missouri. That's where my mom and dad were raised. My father worked in the elevator business, and he had two weeks vacation every year. During that time, 
our car would be packed, we would make the two-day drive, you know, this was even before interstates, two-day drive, Cleveland to central Missouri, go and visit my mother's family, go and visit my father's family, and then drive home. We never went to the beach to go swimming. We never went to the mountains to ski. We went and visited grandparents. Connie's family was the same. Her parents honored their parents. Now fast forward the tape 30 years. Okay? Matt and Nicole's girls will be mid-30s. Matt will almost be my age. One of the girls will come to Matt and Nicole and say, we plan to take our kids to Disney World and we want you to go with us. The family circle will be completed. I serve as a volunteer chaplain at, at Parker Adventist Hospital. And when I visit a patient who is a parent and a son or a daughter is in the room, I always quote the fourth commandment. And I say to them, God notices what you're doing right now, honoring your mother or your father. The typical response is tears. Honor your mother and your father, and your days will be long on the earth. Now, you could max out your 401k as you should, and you could max out your Roth IRA as you should. You could have a PhD from Financial Peace University. But if you do not honor your father and your mother, you will not have a good retirement. If you are now experiencing some heaviness in your heart, it's conviction from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of one or more of the commandments you have not kept. Thank God that is happening to you. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for caring for me. I ask your forgiveness for the sins I have committed. Please take away this heaviness I have in my heart. Amen. I can assure you, the Savior has touched you. I can assure you that Jesus has come to you. And the Savior of the world has said, I heard that prayer. You are forgiven. I've told you three things. The first reading of the commandments <clears throat> shows the character of God. The second reading of the commandments shows how far short of the character of God I have fallen. It reveals my sin. The third reading of the Ten Commandments is an ethical, moral guide for Christian living. We Christians must lead by example. Demonstrate your faith in Jesus by living by the Ten Commandments. We are called to be holy people. Be holy by living by the Ten Commandments. Please stand. Let's sing a simple little song. I have decided to follow Jesus. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back again. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Go in God's peace and live by the Ten Commandments. Thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.